Welcome to the FE Insights podcast, a series of podcasts to bring professionals working in the field up to speed with the latest developments presented by Safraz Ali, Chief Executive of the national training provider, The Pathway Group. Welcome to FE Podcast. This is a podcast for those who live, breathe FE skills. This is about workplace learning. This is adult education skills. This is a field that I've lived and breathed for 20 years. I'm, my passion is here. It's my career. It's everything that I that I love and I talk about on a regular basis. So it's my honor that I'm the host of FE Podcast. It's my absolute honor that I've got a guest who I regard as a mentor, as somebody who understands the sector, because he's at the front facing, uh, who runs a recruitment business, which is the front line of obviously the impact that we're all making as providers. So can I welcome Sack from S Knights? Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you, Safa. Thank you for your kind words and uh, very warm welcome. And congratulations to you. And so you recently become appointed as an ERSA Board of Directors. Yeah, That's you, a massive milestone. Thank you, sir. I've, I've closely watched what you've been up to the last 20, 25 years now, I think, in the sector. And mm. Seeing you grow is phenomenal. But no, honestly, thank you. And it's an absolute privilege to be here on your podcast. Yeah. Again, what I'll say, Zach, is that I know you've got some, your, your Mrs. Mike Mataya texts you any minute. I know you're <laughs> expecting a, a child, a baby. And I really appreciate the fact that you've, you've come down today to share your thoughts, your nuggets of gold, your wisdom and your experiences with us. So really appreciate that. Yeah, no, thank you. I've got the boot packed <laughs> and uh, I've got her on speed dial ready for as soon as she calls. But yeah, no, as long as we can last the next hour or so, Saf, I think we should we, be we safe. Should, we should be okay. So, <laughs> so thank you. Let's, let's, get, let's get straight to it. I mean, you, you're a touching younger. You're in education uh, in terms of the recruitment market. You know, you're, the eyes and ears of us providers that are talking to you as employers that are talking to you. you know, you've got people who are you know, HR directors, CEOs of organizations speaking to you, getting words of wisdom, advice in terms of where it is. And we'll come to that part of it. When I think about you know, why people go into certain sectors, you know, I'm sure when you were at school and college, <laughs> you didn't think about recruitment as your sort of career and aspiration. So tell us how have you landed here and that journey if you can. Yeah, and it's you know, it's funny stuff. I spent so much of my time interviewing people to be sat on the other side. So it's a whole different experience. Um so I mean you're right. I think most people know me as Estonish recruitment. Um, you know, employability and skills, colleges, training providers. Yeah. They might know me from EPA Hub, something mm-hmm. we co-founded uh, a couple of years ago, or then Linzac or some of the boards I've sat on. But in terms of, I suppose, where I started, so, I mean, like many, I came from fairly humble beginnings, uh, single-parent family, love my mum to bits. I think she did really well. Yeah. Bringing up two little boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think she really, she really built in that kind of hard working ethic and culture and but I think for me personally I was quite a shy person growing up to so school college kind of came into my own at university mm. built a little bit of confidence and I did my degree in law mm. I wish before starting that degree I'd researched that in order to qualify you had to do a 10 grand LPC <laughs> yeah it's coming from quite humble beginnings. I mean, yeah. I just about had a thousand pounds, ten thousand exactly. Yeah. And, and and whilst at uni, I'd always done kind of summer jobs, and most of them were telesales jobs. And, yeah. and I'd kind of really loved the sales, business development, and being on the phone, speaking to people. And I thought, well, 
you know, what can I do? Which isn't necessarily call centre, but still professional, playing to those strengths. And it was my cousin, actually. She had said, well, have you ever thought about recruitment? Mm. And I always associated recruitment with kind of HR mm. and more policy. And I read into it a little bit more and fell into it that way. Mm. So, you know, went for an interview, worked for a great company. I fell into recruitment as a sector. And I, th- I suppose I was really fortunate in that I fell into the employability and skills sector mm. as well. Yeah. And, and kind of just fell in love with it. Mm. Um, so, yes, that's how I kind of came into recruitment. And, and to be honest, since 2008, when I came into recruitment, mm. 21-year-old graduate, mm. I've been doing it ever since. So I was in my first job for mm. about three and a half years, got headhunted to Capita after that which was fun um, did mainstream education there for about six months which was a whole different ball grain yes. to the employability and skill sector mm-hmm. and then from there went to work for a small independent mm-hmm. which was interesting and so if I'm really honest with you you know I love this notion of business owner and entrepreneur and I know we've talked about it loads but I'd never set out to open up a business or to be an entrepreneur and I remember it as if it was yesterday Saf 23rd of April 2013, this is when I was working employed for an organization, setting up their employability and skills division. And we were doing really well, you know, hitting targets. And it was the 23rd of April, 2013. And I get a call from the director and he says to me, Sack, uh, where are you? And I was like, I'm in the office, mm. you know, where, where I should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where are you? And he yeah. said, you know, I'd rather not say. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, I was, he goes, everything okay? And he said, well, not really, Sack. And I was like, you know, is the missus okay? Are the kids okay? Because, mm. you know, small company, you get to know people. Mm. And he goes, not really, Sack. He goes, um, we've made a couple of bad decisions investment-wise and cash flow's been hit hard. Mm. And I'll be honest, back, you know, I was 26 at the time, things mm. like cash flows and budgets, they're mm. way above my pay grade. Mm. I came to work and I got paid, I got my commission, I did as, you know, as much as I could do. And he goes, um, yeah, the, the business has been hit hard, made some bad decisions, and I can't afford to pay you. Wow. And this is Tuesday the 23rd of April, 2013, so I remember because it's four days before payday. Wow. And I remember my response being, yeah, but I've got direct debits coming out on Friday. Wow. It's not sack on, so I don't know what to say to you. Just... Yeah. We can't afford to pay you. It's like, okay, what about my notice? Do I, you know, you can pay my notice period. And it's like, sack, honestly, I don't know what to say. I'm really Mm -hmm. sorry. And by this point, he'd already started getting rid of staff. And and again, for me, they were, I just didn't recognize them. Because to me, I rocked up to work every day. I worked really hard. Exactly. So I said, okay, no problems. So what do I do now? And he goes, sack, I think you need to go home. (laughs) And I remember I took the mobile phone with me, I took my laptop with me, and I remember going home and just having a nap, if I'm really honest, because I didn't know what to do. I was like, I've never been in this position. (laughs) Two days later, so we're talking now Thursday, that's when their sites came into existence. Because I thought to myself, you know, back then, I had some temps working for me with some of my clients and my genuinely my biggest worry and concern. So I'd spent about five, six years in the sector by then. So I'd built up a reputation. I'd had the relationships. I thought I've got 10 temps working for me. Yes. How are they going to get paid? So I remember I went to go see an accountant. I went to go speak to the bank. And and they were great. You know, by the 27th, I think it was, of April, we'd launched S nights. I was managed to pay my temps. And, yeah, we were we were go, go, go. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And, and what a journey it's been. And we'll, we'll obviously unpack a little bit of that. 
But, you know, what I'll just comment on that is that you were obviously open-minded when you're talking to your cousin in terms of an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, you play to your strengths in terms of sales and, and you know, recruitment is a sales thing, but it's also very strategic now in terms of selling on its own needs. You know, it needs it's connecting all the dots together. Yes. Um, and it's getting much more complicated than what it is. Uh, but it also shows lack of careers advice in terms of you know, <laughs> you know, you know, we're you know, we're in the skills business, education business, and you think even now people are making you know going into degrees and, and qualifications without real thinking in terms of the end in mind and what they're trying to get to. And I think you know we keep talking about end in mind business and end in what your you know what your outcome is or what your you know what your objectives are, but you know it's it's a continuous thing within the world of work at the moment. Yeah, so it is. It is. I mean, I wish somebody had seriously sat down and said it's going to cost you ten grand after this degree <laughs> to carry on. <laughs> but again, I'm, you know, honestly, I'm a firm believer of two things. One, things happen for a reason, and it doesn't always, it always doesn't always sit well in the moment. But actually, in in retrospect, when you reflect back, things do happen for a reason. And the other thing is genuinely. I think good things happen to good people. So you're an accidental entrepreneur. Yeah. You, know, you, 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 you fell into it, but you've actually grabbed the opportunity. You know, you, you grab the opportunity challenge, you grab the opportunity. Uh, you know, you talk about how you develop as a person and how you've had to learn fast uh, within that time. Tell us a little bit about the entrepreneur sack, you know, the accidental entrepreneur sack. What does that mean in terms of you running your business? Yeah, cash flows didn't mean anything to you before, but what's, what's changed? How have you developed as a person? That's a really interesting question, Saf. And I think for me, the last few years specifically have been the biggest growth years. Okay. I think surrounding myself with the right people. So Saf, you know, you most definitely one of them. And having a, a really strong peer group of people that you can bounce off, soundboard off. And there's, there's a handful of people I keep really close to have that kind of connection with. Yeah. I think if you were to ask me, Sack, you know, the 26-year-old Sack that launched S Nights on the 27th of April, what was the plan then? I'll be honest with you, it was to be the biggest, the best. The, you know, I didn't want anyone to have a job in the employment listed skills market unless S Knights found it for them. That was the goal. That was mm. the aim. Domination. Yeah, world domination yeah. of the employability and skills sector. And don't get me wrong, there is still elements of that. Yeah. But I think with time and the journey that we've been on, it's changed a little bit. I think learning curves for me is, you know, resilience. That is a learning curve and a learning point for me as well. Because if I look back at the trajectory of S Knights recruitment we've seen growth every year and you know we've gone from strength to strength but if you drill down into the specific periods there's most definitely been highs and lows there's mm. been times where everyone's high-fiving there's been times where we've, we've had to look at each other mm. yeah. <laughs> and, and have some difficult conversations and i think the sack back in 2013 i was everything to everybody you know, I was the valued mm. recruitment partner mm. to some of our clients. We were the last chance saloon for some of our clients. Mm. We were an agency, you know, a logo on a CV for some of our clients. Mm. Um, and that was fine, you know, because that's what I had been brought up in the recruitment world thinking, you know, we're here to serve a purpose and that's to fulfill the needs of our clients. I think with time, what, we, what I've realized is actually there's a value in what we do as a business. Mm. And as a business owner, as someone leading a team of, you know, really skilled, trained consultants, yeah. it's, it's, it's differentiating between those who genuinely see value in our services versus those who see, who see us as a CV pusher. And actually, 
one of the things that I've learned is unless you can assign a value to your time, to your efforts, and to your energies, because we work hard, and I can vouch for my team as well. By God, we work hard. Mm. We want to work with people who appreciate and value that. So the business that we are now, the learnings that we've done now is, you know, we have become a lot more selective with the clients that we work with. You know, we genuinely partner up with our clients. And the impact that that's had on us as a business and me personally growing is I love my job so much more. You know, we have those in-depth conversations. We challenge some of our clients. We listen to them. We give our advice and our feedback. I know we're going to move into the sector and what that looks like now, but... You know, unless we're able to add that value and have those conversations, it's not fun for us. And it's really honing into what do we do? What are we good at? What do we enjoy doing? And when you have that combination with a client who gets it, it's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, that's what we've learned. And, and I suppose to go back to your entrepreneurial question, we're in those highs and lows. You know, I don't mind sharing with you since 2013, our pivotal moment was 2017. That was... Why? You know, anything you can think of that could go wrong in a business went wrong. One of our biggest clients ended up going under. So we whole, we lost a whole lot of business there. Our cash flow took an impact as well. In terms of where we'd positioned ourselves in the market, we had kind of cornered ourselves, not in a bad way, but we hadn't explored all the opportunities and really capitalized on what we could have done. Um, so 2017 was a really tough year for us. And... You know, we bounced out of it, we dug deep, we, you know, regrouped and really thought about what are we going to do, how are we going to do it, and who is S Knight's version two. Um, on the back of that, that's where we launched, funnily enough, EPA Hub, because mm. there was conversations, do we diversify our sectors? Mm. Do we go into accountancy or law? And there's narratives within those that we could sell and, and penetrate those markets. I thought to myself, well, actually, employability and skills is what we love. You know, we know the industry, we're we're genuine sector Mm -hmm. specialists. Let's stay in this. And so we launched EPA Hub, which connects endpoint assessment organizations with endpoint assessors. We launched a couple of years later, Linzac, which is a marketing platform for really innovative suppliers to the FE space to tap into our network and database of clients that we already recruit into. So we leveraged our position and then obviously, as I mentioned, kind of moved into the board roles that I'm now, you know, board member of the IP and a non-exec board director for an ITP as well, which helped me personally grow and see what big business looked like, but also further developed my understanding of the industry. There's a lot there, Zach. There's a lot there. And we're, we're talking about the entrepreneurship. We're talking about your, obviously your sector experience. We're talking about the journey as well. And you've trans, you know you've taken us through that highs and lows. I want to go a little bit into the entrepreneurship again in some aspects of it because there are definitely lessons for businesses, business owners out there. First thing is you know there's a lot of business failure. Recruitment itself, you know, people don't last. You know, the burnout is there. The, the, the elements are there. Then on top of that, you know, the, you know, you've lost clients, you've lost business. The the market changed. Resilience is. You know, you are resilience times 10. You're you're adaptable, you know, lean, agile, responsive. Talk to us about how that works. I mean, you know, this word pivot, you you know, you talk about, uh, which is, you know, common word now, and people have been saying that for the last year or so, but you're talking about, you know, five years ago, you were using the word pivot and pivot and you pivoted. But tell us a little bit about how does that work? Because 
you're on your own, you know, you're the managing director, you're, you know, I know you don't call yourself the CEO, but you're the MD, you're the CEO, you're the finance director, you're the commercial director, you're the sales director, you're the HR department, uh, potentially, even though you might have people in doing those roles, because you've got to do all of that yourself as well, understand that, you know, <laughs> to give us some, what's the secret? Honestly speaking, and it's going to sound non-concrete, yeah. but the honest answer is do what you love. So, so when I think about that 2017, and I think, like you said, I was an accidental entrepreneur in 2013 when we launched the business. You can take that, by the way. You can keep that by tagline, accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, you know, when you, when you do your next podcast with somebody, I'm the accidental entrepreneur. Yeah, no, it's true. But, you know, for me, that was more circumstantial. I think yeah. 2017, when your back's against the wall, the only way out is to swing or drop down. Yeah. I think for me at that point is it's looking at what is it that you love doing because as soon as you can hone into that then you know the stress the the challenges that come with it it becomes part of that journey you don't mind it because you know it's 100% you know cash flow and generating the revenue that become that's so important by focusing on what you love doing it becomes so much easier because the reality is and I say this to a couple of my friends the reality is when they ask me, you know, Saka, I want to go into business. What do you think I should do? Yeah. And I say to him, you know, the reality is there's money in everything. Mr. Andrex selling toilet paper, <laughs> you know, the multimillionaire. Yeah. Who would have thought selling toilet paper and selling lots of it will make you that rich? Yeah. You know, the person who manufactured these tables and yeah. sold them, you know, yeah. there's money in everything. If you can hone in to either a specialism or a passion or something that you want to be known as the expert of, the go-to of, it makes your life so much easier. Because when you come across a challenge, it is a challenge, and you'll relish that challenge. It's not an obstacle where you're banging your head against a brick wall. So, you know, if I I hone in on the EPA Hub as a prime example, Mm. so EPA Hub came out of... When the world of endpoint assessment came into existence, you had uh, an opportunity there for us as an agency to go out to the EPAOs and say, you need a fluid, flexible workforce. We've got a temporary desk. Why don't we find you temps? And they said, Sack, we love the idea of being able to find freelance EPAs on tap as and when required. we just a phone call to you. We talked through the finances and how it would work. And they said, Sack, it's too expensive. <laughs> and so I asked them, okay, that's fine. You can't afford temps. What would the dream look like mm. for you? And they said, Sack, if there was a database that we could tap into and search and advertise on the dream come true. And that entrepreneurial spirit at that point said, I could make that. And that's what it is. And I think if it, it wasn't that we intended to move into the recruitment tech space and create a platform, but because it was something that I loved and I saw the opportunity, it was like, it makes sense. Like this is a challenge I would relish mm. as opposed to an obstacle of how else do I deploy my temps? Where do I put them? Okay. So entrepreneurial wise it is, find that passion. Okay, fantastic. And hopefully if passion finds you as a gift to you, then you know, it's lucky that you you know you find your passion sooner rather than later. Mm. It's one of those things and fantastic lens there. And thank you for sharing that with us. You're listening to the FE Insights podcast with Safraz Ali from the Pathway Group, looking at current trends in further education. Let's move a little bit in terms of the challenges now for the sector, if you can, Zach. You know, you're on the front line, you know, you're, you're the go-to person in your sector, you've carved a niche, people know you for problem solving, troubleshooting, uh, head getting them out, and you, you're also strategically aligned as well, so you've got these strategic partnerships, strategic relationships. Um What's going through the mind, firstly, of, say, an independent training provider 
Uh, I know you sit on a board of ITP, Internet Provider. What's going through from an employee's perspective at this point in time? What are their challenges? What are the challenges from a potentially candidate perspective? And just give us an overview of the marketplace at this point in time. I think most of the marketplace right now is a mixture of emotions. Mm. I think there's definitely excitement. In the last 14 years that I've been around, I've never seen this level of investment into employability and skills, you know, between restart, traineeships, ESF, AB, apprenticeships, boot camps. You know, this sector has never been flooded with so much funding. Um, So I think there's the excitement. I think the challenges right now for a lot of providers, if you rewind back to, say, 2020, and if you sat on, I think, any senior leadership team meeting or or Mm. board meeting, the key question is how do we diversify our offering, right? And I think most providers who wanted to diversify have now diversified because of the sheer amount of funding that's out there. The biggest challenge is how do we now mobilize this? And I think the challenges within that is if you look at historically, you had welfare to work, you had employability, you had skills, and never with the world's mix. So your apprenticeship trainer would be an apprenticeship trainer. That's a job they'd probably move into. Mm. Same with the tutor, same with the advisor. Because of the sheer amount of funding right now, an apprenticeship trainer can also now start delivering your AB courses because there's a vocational element. They can also deliver your traineeships, your ESF programs as well, which means that the demand for this limited pool of apprenticeship trainer job title has now quadrupled. Yet the pool that we've got is still the same as what it used to be. And so most providers I'm speaking to right now, recruitment is probably top of their agenda. They are struggling mm. to find the right talent. And, you know, you'll hear, you'll hear phrases like the competition is fierce and it's a tough market out there. And no agree. And, and that's been the same story for the last kind of 12, 18 months now. I think as a sector, we really, really need to start thinking about, okay, we, we've kind of used that story. What are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And I think that, that's a really interesting conversation I'm having with a few people right now because a conference that I spoke at last year, you know, mm-hmm. we talked about being an agile employer and what that means, you know, yeah. being proactive. But I think it's all too easy to be reactive as an employer. Um, and, you know, recruitment becomes a knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. Somebody's left with one a new contract and yeah. that's where the ball starts rolling. I think training providers and colleges, employability providers as well, need to start thinking about being agile, being open to conversations, even when they're not recruiting. I'll be publishing an article soon, actually, about about, it. So I'll give you a sneak preview. And it's about when is the best time to get a new job? Okay. And this is, I know I'm shifting slightly to a candidate's perspective. For me, the best time to find a new job is when you're not looking because the moment you as a candidate start looking for a new job it's for a reason you're not happy there's challenges there's redundancies you don't think you get paid enough all of these are are issues that need to be resolved in your new job imagine being in a position where you think to yourself you know what i'm happy where i am so if i move now it's genuinely going to be better than where i am now as opposed to being made redundant i need to find a job or Actually, I'm not happy with my salary or something's broken. What good looks like when you're in that mindset, the threshold's very low. Whereas when you're not looking for work and you stumble across something interesting, that threshold for you to make the move is higher. So that, that I'm writing an article and a piece about that. But I think going back to a provider's perspective for a second yeah. is in terms of tangible actuals, it's giving yourself enough lead time. So, you know, if I got paid a pound for every time a client said to me, Sack, I need something to hit the ground running. Yeah. I wouldn't need to fill the job, Sack. <laughs> I'd, I'd become a millionaire from that phrase alone. And, and I'm firm believer that, you know, 
our behaviours drive our actions. And if you're kind of approaching recruitment at that last minute where you have no choice but to find somebody who's done this job before because I don't have the time to train my own people. And bearing in mind, you know, we've already talked about our pool of candidates is shrinking because the provision is increasing. You're always going to be on the back foot. And actually the question you need to ask yourself is, am I struggling with recruitment or do I lack a strategic direction of how we're going to get the best talent? And is that start recruiting in advance? Is it let's start training our own people? Because, you know, the irony of our sector is we are employability and skills. Yeah. You know, we train people for a living. Yeah, we should yeah. be doing that uh, within our businesses. Yeah. We should be capturing that CPD, that occupational competence, that industry knowledge to train the next people. You know, and, and nine times out of ten is an exaggeration. I'd, I'd say a solid six, seven times out of ten, clients will say, we don't have the time to train anymore. We need to do it at the ground running. Mm. Okay. So, in a, in a nutshell, in terms of the challenges, uh, obviously staffing, qualifying yeah. the staff and the, the people aren't there. I mean, that used to be a saying at one time where, you know, if, if you as an employee said, you know, I can't find the staff, that actually meant mindset mm-hmm. in terms of can't find the staff in terms of, you know, what the people that I've got aren't up to it, yeah. they're not up to the level. Now, you're actually saying, actually, I can't find the people, generally yeah. can't find the people. So, the phrase has changed in terms of where we are. So that there's one element of it. And then you're talking about people who've got a choice in terms of, you know, if, if they've got the skill set, they know what their worth is, they know, you know, in terms of what value they add, they're more conscious uh, in terms of their own, you know, the, the value they bring to the to, to, to the employer, then they can start having conversations, you know, when they have choice as opposed to when they don't have no choice, you know, yeah. or when they have limited, limited choice. So that's really taking control of your own career, taking control of your own future. 100%. Um, in terms of the competition previously, you know, the independent use training providers used to say, well, it's the colleges. Mm-hmm. You know, we're competing against the colleges. You know, we can't compete with their salaries. We can't compete with their, with, with possibly their holiday pay, the remuneration, the pension, and so forth. I'm finding less and less of that in there. Yeah. Yeah, and how are you finding that from a, you know, that's from a personal objective, that personal perspective? No, 100%, Safran, I think especially in the apprenticeship market, you know, colleges are great and they deliver some phenomenal provision, but in the apprenticeship space, I think ITPs are at the forefront of that. So if people are um, working for ITPs in apprenticeships, training providers know that they need to be good employers with good salaries, good packages, and, and you're 100% right. I'm not finding that ITP versus FE debate anymore. I'm finding it more ITP versus ITP when it comes to who are we competing against in this. And I think, for me, one of the biggest challenges that we'll, I know we're going to circle back to recruitment and I suppose the agencies and stuff, yeah. but I think the underlying issue, and this is where the Nestlite as an agency is starting to reconsider who we're working with and kind of what does that perfect client and provider look like that we want to take, you know, the talent to, it's reach. You know, the, one of the biggest challenges that providers have, we don't look for jobs the same way we used to look for them two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. It's a very different mindset. It's a very different, you know, things like Glassdoor reviews, Indeed reviews, you know, they, they've always been there, but we weren't as reliant on them. Mm. Also, our circles and our reach, mm. so, you know, social media has very much taken over the world. Mm. And if you think of an individual within a training provider, 
their circle they're surrounded with, then the organization level, the circle that surrounds them, that's your audience. So when you do put out an advert or you do put a post out on social media to attract talent, for example, you're relying on somebody looking for a job in that moment, that person seeing your advert in that moment, being in a position where they can apply in that moment or remember to apply later and that's all you've got so a lot of the conversations that we're having with providers now is how are you building that employer brand how are you positioning yourself as an employer of choice so i'm speaking at a conference later on this month and again sneak peek for the podcast one of the exercises i'm going to ask the audience to do is you know almost close your eyes and think of if you're an apprenticeship provider think of an epao if you're an EPAO, think of an apprenticeship provider and have that name firmly in your mind. Once you've opened your eyes, mm. ask yourself, would that provider that you thought of think of your organisation if I asked them the same question? And when you thought of that provider, what was it that made you think of that provider? Was it their size, their branding, their values, what they do, what they post? Because if people aren't thinking of you when they're closing them, those eyes, when they're looking for a new job, are you an employer of choice yet? And how do you get to that stage where you do become that? Because it is, so I feel like you said, it is competitive, it's fierce out there. So it's, we're, we're talking about, it's not really what you know, it's not even who you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you and what do, do they know you for? So what do they know you for? If they know you for as, as a provider that's at the forefront of apprenticeships, are they going to automatically think of you as in terms of the next career option yeah. that's it and, and so just circling that back down to recruitment so obviously you can imagine as an agency our reach is phenomenal you know through our database through all we do all day every day speak to people mm. so our reach is phenomenal but actually what else the other thing that we do and this is where that we're talking about value is we provide that narrative so you know it's look back at Glassdoor we look back at journeys of organizations and we have that conversation with the provider to provide that narrative so we can get candidates excited about your journey you know if you're relying on purely an advert hoping somebody applies and they apply because they can do what's on your advert yeah. is that a strong enough reason to join your organization is that a strong enough reason for somebody to come and interview with you I honestly I don't know and I don't think it is anymore sir so how does an employer, an independent training provider, differentiate themselves and become that employer of choice and be in the mindset? You know, how, how do you do that in this competitive marketplace when you've got all of these other pressures going on as well? It's a really easy answer, in my humble opinion, mm. and that's only because of how our sector is built. Mm. So one of my favourite phrases is we're a very tiny sector, mm. it'll be incestuous, everybody knows everybody. And actually, the, the impact of that and the benefit to you is if you treat your staff well, if they decide to move on, they're speaking highly of you. If you guys are recruiting, I mean, that person's network alone, they'll be able to, with conviction, tell their friends, tell their former colleagues, guys, come and work here. Honestly, it's a great place to work. So I think first and fundamentally, it's look after your people. I think on top of that is... You know, there's a lot of conversations now around purpose. There's a lot of conversation now around intent. And there always has been, but people are really honing in on that. And that's great to be talking internally in meetings about. But what are you doing to demonstrate it? And I suppose I am in a really, really fortunate position, partly because I work with some of the sector's finest people and talent. And also I work with some of the most exciting providers out there. And when you hear about some of the things that they do, some of the things that they're involved with, 
my mind is blown. And I'm just like, guys, how are you not screaming and shouting about this? And you've got two types of providers. You've got the providers who say, well, Zach, this is just what we do. Like, we didn't think this was scream and shout worthy. Um, and then you've got the others who say, Zach, we don't quite know how to. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's a, a separate conversation around marketing and PR and how do you do that. But it's, it's showing that actually we do what we do for the right reasons and putting it out there as well. So word of mouth works and we always know that it's worked, you know, and that's predominantly, you know, about sales and so forth. But we're now talking about word of mouth in terms of recruitment because people are attracted to other people, like-minded people in organizations. And if they're doing well, and they're saying, well, actually, this is a fantastic organization. That counts more than the organization putting out adverts and saying, we're, the brilliant, we're brilliant. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Okay. So that's, that's, the, that's the secret there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, these sometimes things are quite basic, but what happens is that we lose uh, all sense of reality and all sense of, you know, what, what is the right thing to do and what's, what works. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. The reason I echo and agree with you so much there is often because, depending on the provider, recruitment can become so reactive and it comes almost to the last stages where actually it's just do anything and everything we think we can without that kind of methodical, you know, word and mouth. Like you said, it's, it's something easy we can do. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, uh, uh, you know, we live in a review economy. We buy uh, based on reviews, whether it's on Amazon, eBay, whatever the case is, we're now making conscious decisions in terms of who we work based on reviews as well and, and, and what people say and what, what people have experienced. So, yeah, these are things that are having much more, much more impact. In terms of um, succession planning um, for employers and, and well, particularly uh, independent training providers and, and finding the fact that they just can't find the staff yeah. you know, in terms of the, 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 the people out there, uh, you know, and moving away from a reactive situation, how, how, does, how does somebody do that? It all sounds well and good. But sometimes, you know, uh, budgets are limited. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're, you're not in a position to have, you know, recruit continuously or have more people in so it doesn't affect you and sometimes it's only that one person doing that job and it's an easier thing to say but you know how does that work in in, in reality and from your perspective uh, and that's a really good question because if i think of some of the recent successes that we've had specifically around your question there it's with organizations that are genuinely agile so if I give you an example of a provider who went to market for a MIS manager, mm. ended up appointing a head of MI with additional responsibilities. Mm. Now, if you if you deconstruct that and if you're asked to ask that provider, why did you go to market for an MI manager when the business needed a head of MI with your forecasted growth and everything else going on? I could probably bet the answer would be because that was the gap in my organization chart. We had something fairly recently as well, actually, with a director role in London. And they came to us um, asking for a director, and we had gone to market, presented them to some directors. And, and through this journey, and recruitment is a journey, both for the candidate and for the employer as well. But as we went through that journey, we kind of started dissecting what does the business need? So Park the old chart for a second. Mm. Well, where are the gaps in the business? And actually, we ended up appointing a head of engagement instead, mm. which resolved the problems that the provider had and built that resilience for the challenges that were going to come. 
So I think when we talk about the agile provider, and, and I'm a big fan of conversations and having those, but it's at every role, delving down and doing a deep dive into the business as to the why. Why are we doing this? Is it because the person with that particular job title has left? So it makes sense to recruit like for like. Mm. Has the business evolved? Has it changed? Does the business need something else now? Mm. And I think it's those kind of conversations that providers and people need to be having more of. You're listening to the FE Insights podcast with Safras Ali from the Pathway Group, looking at current trends in further education. Let's go, um, go back a little bit in terms of uh, the individual in themselves. You know, you know, we've got people who've been in, in jobs for many, many years, sometimes very loyal, and that loyalty, which is a strength, becomes a, a little bit of a weakness, mm-hmm. you know, because they're, they're, they're possibly, uh, and I'm generalising here, not being recognised or valued. And then what they find is that, you know, people like yourselves uh, are going advertising, they're thinking, you know, maybe pressure from the sort of better half and, and, and so forth, and they look at their colleagues and so forth, and they consider maybe I could do more, I could do better. They have a conversation with your good self, you sell them the dream, and uh, uh, then, you know, do they get cold feet to, you know, how, you know, just generally give, give us examples of what goes to the because. You know, when you're dealing with somebody's career, mm. um, you know, something that you deal with on a day, day-to-day basis is, you know, you make decisions and you put pay people in. You know, these are norms for you. Mm. But for somebody else, they're life-changing yeah. decisions. Yeah, how, how, how do you help people with that? And you're 100% right, stuff. It's the means with which they pay their mortgages, pay their bills, their livelihoods are underpinned by it. And so, no, I totally agree. And actually, Saf, if I can, I'd love to answer that twofold. Mm. So one from a candidate's perspective, yeah. but also from an employer's perspective. Yeah. And I'll share what I think is a funny story. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I think from a candidate's perspective, two things. One, I think if you're feeling like that, there's nothing worse than bottling it up. Mm. So by all means, give us a quick call or an agency or start looking for, for jobs. But actually, your first point of call needs to be speak to your manager. And the conversation doesn't have to be, I'm unhappy, I feel undervalued, pay me or I'm leaving. But sit down and really have a think about what is it that's making me feel the way I am? What am I lacking? Because if I think of the main reasons, some, you know, when we're entering candidates, why are they looking to move on? One, it's they feel they're not being managed properly. Two, they've hit a glass ceiling. Or three, they don't, they're not getting paid enough. They tend to be, there's a whole plethora, but they tend to be the three big ones. And actually, all three of those can be resolved by your employer. So have the conversation with them first. People are scared of, to have those prayer conversations uh, on the whole in some cases. No, and I think that opens up a whole different conversation around what is the relationship between your managers and your staff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because actually, if, you know, if I was told by one of my members of staff yes. that they're leaving because they didn't feel they could have that conversation with me, I'd be mortified. And it's one of the reasons I am against counter-offers. I think counter-offers is one to watch with caution. For a couple explain, of, explain in simple terms what, what that is. You know, so you know, what, what is a counter-offer? A counter-offer is Tom is working for an organisation. He goes for an interview, gets offered two, three grand more. Tom goes to hand in his notice to his manager and his manager says, don't leave. Forget the two, three thousand pay rise. We'll give you a four thousand pay rise. Stay with us. Um, okay, so that's the counter. Overnight, the guy's yeah, the four thousand. Yeah, this particular case. Exactly, and I think for me, the reason I'm against the counter offer is one. I think to myself as a manager, if you know the value of that candidate, in this example, is an extra four thousand than what they're getting paid right now. Why haven't you paid it to them? 
Do you know what I mean? That's fundamentally number one. Number two, and again, this is the cynical side of me, and when you've worked in recruitment for as long as I have, you see all sorts. The cynical side of me thinks to myself, well, if you've told your manager that I've updated my CV, I've gone for an interview, I've looked outside, they're succession planning as well, these managers. They're going to be thinking, if you were to leave in 30 days, could I replace you? No. That's not going to work, is it? Exactly. Especially in a candidate short market. Learn only in a candidate buoyant market. Yeah. Candidate short, am I going to replace you? No. Yeah. If I dangled £4,000 in front of you, I know deep down I'm probably not resolving the underlying issues that you're facing, but it's sparkly enough to distract you. And now that you're distracted, do I have enough time to succession plan and find your replacement? Yeah. And it's back now in my terms, in my control. And which is why, for me, I'm not a big fan of the counteroffer. And if I give you a personal experience of that, now we, I remember one of the early members of staff that I had was a, uh, a young lady called Jade. Mm. I love Jade to bits. She was great. You know, mm. took her on as a trainee. Mm. She was with me for a few years. And it wasn't quite a counteroffer. Yeah. It was, um, she decided to go off to university. Mm. To go and study law, funnily enough. Okay. I told her about the 10 grand LPC cost. Yeah. Uh, but you know, she decided. Yeah. Well, she, she had done that well in recruitment. She had saved up some of the commission she was running. And uh, I remember going home and I remember saying to the missus that, you know what, Jade, she's handing her notice and I'm gutted. I was like, you know what, what haven't we got here last night that's made her want to go off and do this? Yeah. You know, and, and honestly, I was emotional. You know, I was 20, what, eight at the time, maybe, 29. Yeah. And this is the first member of staff that we'd appointed that had decided to leave. And Ooh. I remember one Mr. saying to me, Sackler, I get it. You know, you're emotionally attached to your business. And the younger Sack was like, no, I'm not. I'm a businessman. Or, you know, I can differentiate my emotions. This is, I don't understand why she's leaving though. And um, she said to me, what you've got to remember, Sack, is the same thing you said to your clients, same thing you said to your candidates, which is a career is made up of segments of a journey. And actually, she's done her journey with you and she's going to move on. And she'll be on the next part of her journey and they'll move on. Because actually, if Jade stayed with you for 20 years... She's going to be limited to what you've taught her. What outside experience has she got? What else is she bringing to the table that you potentially don't already know because you've trained her in that? And I think for me, that was really insightful because I thought to myself, do you know what? You're absolutely right. When I think about candidates, they are on a journey. And at every stage of their journey, they'll learn something new. You know, sack of 2013 versus sack of 2022. Yeah. Very, di- very different people because mm. my journey has been different. Mm. I've experienced, I've been exposed to different things as mm. well. So I think from a provider's perspective, yes, I understand the need for a counter offer, but resist the temptation, wish them well, wish them good luck, tell them that, you know, you hope to keep in touch. And I think from a candidate's perspective, if you feel that it's time to move, don't be distracted by that shiny offer because. Mm. It's not fundamentally, when you strip back everything else, money wasn't the primary aim of you moving. It was everything else that went in behind that as well. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. We appreciate that. Particularly, as I said, as you said, uh, it, you know, it, it is no longer a job for life. And uh, no. it is, it's the segmentation of it and it's that growth. And these are milestones and, and, and they're all part of that journey of, of developing as, as, as individuals. Uh, sometimes you can experience that within an organization where you can move into a different type of role and, and yeah. I've seen that as well. So it's not always about moving necessarily to a new employer. It's sometimes moving into a different role, a new, new challenge. And sometimes even projects, you know, having an opportunity to do a project as part of that development. So 
Hundred percent, and again, you know, Saf, there I echo you in that because in those new transitions, you've got the growth, you've got the exposure to different things. So now I agree, it could be within the same organisation. Okay, couple more questions. We're coming to an end. With, we've had a fantastic conversation. So many nuggets of gold there. But you know, when I think of you, good Saf, as an entrepreneur, as an accidental entrepreneur, I think of somebody who's got a very strong brand out there, a personal brand. Uh, a brand that uh, you know you cherish, you look after. You know you obviously spend a lot of time, and you obviously given time here, which is also part of your personal branding. How does that work in terms of personal brand? Because it's easy to say personal branding, personal brand. How have you done that? We are again without, without running the risk of sounding corny. It goes back to that original: do something you love. Yeah. So. You know, when I post on LinkedIn, when I do the videos, when I do stuff like this, I don't even see it as work anymore. Like genuinely, I love, I know at that kind of grassroots level, I love talking to people. I love getting to know people. I love seeing people's journeys. I'm inquisitive by nature. I think that's some of the reasons I've been asked to become a board member is the questions that I ask. Um, Layer that with employability and skills, which is a fascinating sector. I don't think I have enough resilience to work in employability and skills. (laughs) I'll put my hats off to you guys, Uh, but enough to be in recruitment. But because it is something that I I care about and cherish and, and love doing, it's something I do happily so and, and i'll give you a silly example you know when i one of the things we do now i don't know if you can see it's anybody that passes probation as nice recruitment gets a small nightshade badge that they can wear on their lapels now for me that wasn't something that i thought up as part of a people and talent strategy for recognition this was something that whilst i was scrolling thought to myself do you know what i love what i do i want to congratulate someone who's stuck that first six months out in recruitment because it is tough in recruitment you're either in it for six months and it's not for you you're in it for a year and you get burnt out i think anyone who's been doing it for about three years plus is a professional you know this is their task this is the you know their calling Anyone who's 10 years plus is slightly mad and a veteran within recruitment because it is tough. Then this is almost that first kind of, do you know what, you're part of the gang, you're one of us now. And again, it all comes from that kind of passion, that love for doing what I do. So, Sak, I'm going to keep you to your word. I'm going to be your accountability partner. Yeah. You talk about personal branding. You committed today on TV, <laughs> in a podcast, that you're going to do an article. Yeah. If this article doesn't come, yeah, you have to. We'll, you, you, you will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna come through the door, and you'll have to. You know, we'll have to get you to do a forfeit or something. Yeah. So can I? Can I do that with you? Can, no, I, be your account, can I be your accountability? You can. My plan B, to be honest, Saf, was to get the telephone number of your editor, just get him to edit tight. But no, I much prefer the accountability part. Okay, so that's fine. Couple of things, quick, quick things in terms of you know, to finish you off some quick nuggets. People, uh, and I'm talking about independent training providers, yeah. when they look at the recruitment, they look at it as a cost. Yeah. It's a cost. You know, they think, you know what, I don't want to pay a recruitment agency. They, what are they charging for? We can do it ourselves. It's a cost to them. How, how do you perceive that? You know, obviously you're, you're making a living from this. Yeah. You know, how does that mind change from independent training provider or even, you know, your, your customers? But they don't see it as a cost, they see it as an investment. How does that work in your eyes? I think for me, genuinely for providers yeah. that put the recruitment cost of agency fees in their expenses line yeah. and P&Ls, yeah. 
need to start redefining that line as an investment. Okay. And the investment that you're doing isn't the ability of someone forwarding a CV. And if that's the value that you see in the agency you're working with, unfortunately, you're probably working with the wrong agencies. Mm. What you're investing in is a far wider reach, tapping into passive candidates. Mm. And like we said earlier, Speaking to candidates that aren't currently on the market, Mm. if I think back, 73% of the senior appointments we've made are people that weren't actively on the market. And I know we've talked before, Sam, as well. By the time a senior candidate has updated their CV, it's too late. The race is on. Because as well as sending you the CV, they're sending it to every other provider out there. That, That plus the market intel, because remember, your recruiters, if they are adding value to your recruitment process, should know and understand the trends within the market, the market intel. And if you're not getting that and all you're getting is CVs, then yeah, 100% keep is an expense and you're spending a very expensive fee on advertising. Okay, my last question if I can. You've done ecosystem very well. You understand <laughs> ecosystems. Some people don't. If I say ecosystem, they, don't, they won't understand it. Tell us, how, how does that work for you in terms of that ecosystem of products and services, how does your connect? Connect the dots for us and, yeah. and advice for anybody else possibly looking to do a similar thing in, in, in their business. It doesn't have to be recruitment. How do you do that? That's my sort of final question. Some nuggets from you there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think fundamentally first, like I said, start with where you're passionate. Start with where your expertise is. So if you look at S9, CPA Hub and Linsac, the common denominators is I connect people and businesses. In S9 recruitment, I connect candidates to clients. EPA Hub, I connect EPAs and endpoint assessors. And with Linsac, I connect suppliers with the FE market. So hone in on what your strength is mixed with passion, because at that point, you can start leveraging, leveraging that knowledge and that value that you've got. Okay. If somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way? Uh, how, do, how do they find you? So LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn, Sakawan, quite active on that. Yeah. Otherwise, you can call my mobile, call my landline, email into the office. It's, it's very hard. Not, not to, to find you. Yeah, not to find me. <laughs> <laughs> conferences as well, you mentioned. You yeah, know. and conferences, doing webinars. And you'll find me out and about. I love going out and seeing our clients as well. Zach, thank you so much for your time. No, thank thank you. you for sharing lots of uh, wisdom there. Uh, there was so many nuggets of wisdom or gold there for independent training providers, for employers, uh, for candidates. And also, I've learned a lot about you in terms of your journey. <laughs> and uh, I wish you well. Wish your family well. Uh, we've not had any ping, I think. Have you no, seen? so far, so, so good. So far, so good. Yeah. So we've done okay. Yeah. We've done okay. We've had a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for coming on to FE Podcast. Uh, this is a podcast for those who live and breathe for education. You're obviously living and breathing the whole skill sector. So really appreciate your time. And thank you so much again. Thank you. No, thank you, Sam. Thanks for listening to the latest news and insights from the further education sector. Safras Ali will be keeping his ear to the ground and will be back soon with new developments and comment from some of the top professionals in the field. Thank you.